We want to thank you for tuning in to the Indian Run Christian Church Podcast with Pastor Terry Bailey. This podcast can be found on iTunes by searching for Terry Bailey Ministries. Right now, let's get to Pastor Terry's insightful message. And once again, good morning. I read uh, for you the verse from Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 12 to 14, where Jeremiah advises his people, go to Shiloh, the place where I first caused my name to dwell, and see what I did there because of the wickedness of my people. Now I have, as it turns out, heeded the advice of the prophet Jeremiah, though this verse was not in my mind when I began planning this trip, nor in my mind as I got on the plane or got off the plane, But the verse became important to me before I was done with the experience. Just in case the context is lacking for any of us, uh, let, let, let me tell you a little bit of the story that lies behind what Jeremiah is saying. And it happened many hundreds of years earlier toward the end of the period of the Judges when Moses and then Joshua first employed the tabernacle, it was completely mobile. They packed it up when they left. They set it up when they got where they were going. But after they became established in the land, the tabernacle, though it remained a tent, was set up in a permanent fashion at Shiloh. And there in that location, central to the territories of all the tribes, all the people of Israel were to come and worship God together. They were not to set up independent places of worship in each of their own territories or in each of their own clans or any such thing. This shrine was meant to keep them one united people whose heartbeat was the will of God. And so they all were to come to Shiloh and there to offer the sacrifices to God and there to give the praises to God and there through the ministrations of the priest to understand through the language of ritual the will of God and the great love of God and the strength of God. These things were the purposes of the tabernacle being erected and left at Shiloh and there it stood for three centuries and part of a fourth. And the people came. As we approach the time that Jeremiah is referencing, we find the high priest is a man named Eli. Eli presides over all the functions of the tabernacle. Those who have been through my Wednesday morning Bible study some months back as we began the book of 1st and we'll be familiar with this. We, we, we cannot say for sure how well Eli conducted all his technical duties as high priest because that is not part of the record, but we do know Eli's failings. His sons, Hophni and Phinehas, served as priests under his leadership as high priest and those men had some problems. The word that God had given laid out clearly what portion of the sacrifices was to be given to the priest for their sustenance while they served at the tabernacle. And Hophni and Phinehas didn't care what the word said. They took what they wanted. 
The word laid out not only what portion was to be given to the priest, but when it was to be given to the priest. And Hophni and Phinehas didn't care about that either. They took what they wanted when they wanted it. And the word carefully laid out how this portion was to be given to the priest, its preparation and everything else. And Hophni and Phinehas did not care about that. They took what they wanted when they wanted, how they wanted That may seem like a small thing, arguing about the portion of meat and when you get it and how it's cooked and all that. But God had been plain in his word what was to be done. And there were reasons behind it because every aspect of the ritual imparted a truth to God. Further, if you started taking the portion that wasn't for you, it was taken out of the mouths of the poor or it was taken off the altar to God. And that constitutes a problem. But beyond that, there were women who served various functions in the tabernacle. And Hophni and Phinehas, as priest spiritual leaders of the people, were having inappropriate relationships with the women who served at the tabernacle. Uh, There's little enough way to tell from the text whether it was consensual or whether they forced these relations, and I don't know and it's sad either way, but the, the end result is the same. They were neglecting what God said to do and entering fully into what God said not to do, and they were the leaders of the people. I'll jump ahead this this much into the archaeology in the sacred bone pile at Shiloh, and if you don't no, I'm talking about sacred bone pile. Come and see me later because the sermon's already too long. But in, in the sacred bone pile, they, they turned up two little pieces of jewelry while we were there. Two little pieces of gold jewelry. Little stars of the kind that were dedicated to the pagan goddess Ashtara. And in the square where Michael worked, because I worked in a, a different square... But in that square where Michael worked, they turned up a little carved bull of the sort that is dedicated to the pagan god Baal. These things were in the holy place at Shiloh, which tells you that the problems ran deeper than I have yet said. And other people were following their leaders. Of course they were following their leaders. And Hophni and Phinehas led the hearts of the people away from a right relationship with the Lord their God. But Hophni and Phinehas and others along with them believed that they would be safe because, after all, they had the tabernacle, that holy, dedicated structure. And in the heart of the tabernacle, they had the Ark of the Covenant, that wood box plated with gold with the cherubim on top and the gap where their wings almost came together, forming the mercy seat, that place where the presence of God dwelt. And they felt safe. Because they had these things, they were struggling off and on 
with the Philistines. You will recall that every time the nation of Israel slipped into moral lapse, they had troubles being overwhelmed by their pagan neighbors. They had fought before through the period of the judges with the Midianites and with the Amorites and with other peoples because when they strayed from God, the protection left them. And now their struggles are with the Philistines and the Philistines conduct raiding parties and the Philistines are brutal. And Hophni and Phinehas see that a major battle with the Philistines is imminent. And they have this thought. Israel has never lost a battle when they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant in front of the army. So put the poles in the rings, boys. Let's pick that thing up and head out to war because we can't lose with the Ark of the Covenant leading the army. And I'm going to tell you something. Absent a right relationship with God, what you're talking about is a gold-plated wooden box that has no power to protect anyone, regardless of what you may have thought when you watch the Indiana Jones movies. The box in and of itself has no power absent a right relationship with the God who directed that it be made and how it be made. But they did it anyway. They led the armies of Israel against the Philistines with the ark in front and the armies of Israel were slaughtered. And the ark, the most famous thing that they owned was taken by the Philistines. And the Philistines came to Shiloh, the place where the tabernacle was pitched, the place which was to be a blessing to all the nation of Israel, the place where their relationship with God as a people was to be cultivated and maintained and strengthened Philistines destroyed it. It was the house of God for the day. Now I will tell you this about my experience there. I spent most of my time in a square by myself. Here's how this happens. On the first day, our square supervisor, uh, Kevin Larson, says... I need somebody who's not afraid of heights and able to carry heavy stuff. And Michael says, well, Terry can do that. (laughs) And my lot was cast, friends. (laughs) So I spent almost the entire time in a square by myself, and I will tell you later in detail about what I was doing. I made two I don't want to say I accomplished. There were two things I was to uncover if I could. And I uncovered them both. One I'll tell you about later. But before COVID shut things down a few years ago, off to the west of where I was working, they had found a layer of ash and toppled walls that looks like a destruction. And they had dated that layer through the charcoal and through the collagen in the bones and through the types of pottery that they had dug out of there. And they took it right back to 1050, which would be perfect. 
to date for the time that the Philistines came and destroyed Shiloh. But it's one little five-meter section, and that could be, in theory, a house fire or anything else. They won't allow you to make a solid conclusion on that. So one job I had was to follow that line. When you finally get down, you go down through the rock structures of the Roman era and through the dirt foundations that they had pushed in there to level things up after previous destructions before they built those walls. And then you come down to the red clean soil that is the decayed mud brick that formed the upper wall on top of the stone in the Iron and Bronze Age, and then you get down to the stone wall that they're looking for in the proper age, and then you find that layer of ash, a thick layer of ash, and walls that have been pushed over and crushed everything that was in the room that they had formerly shielded. And I found it in two more places, headed east in the same strata as their earlier discovery, which is a good thing on the one hand because it shows the accuracy of the word of God. It puts the nail in and everybody will now pretty much have to agree the Philistines came when the Bible says they came and did what the Bible says they did. This is the point of archaeology. And the archaeologists were excited about it because that was the point and that was what they had me digging looking for. And lo and behold, there it is, the Philistine destruction unearthed. And the archaeologists were all excited about it and I just wanted to go off somewhere alone and cry. It wasn't that I didn't know in advance, I had read it in advance, but somehow when you are sifting through several layers of ashes and crushed stuff and it went deeper than I dug, we of course came to an end and somebody else will have to go back now and finish taking that down to however far the destruction ran. When you're sifting through it and you just think how un necessary it was and there were a couple people who said wouldn't you like to be there and see what that was like and I thought no I've got a pretty good idea of what it was like running and screaming pain and blood and death and all for no necessary cause People could have turned their hearts back to God. And everything would have been saved. But they would not. So God brought the Philistines on. Shiloh burned and fell. Jeremiah spends the first chapters of his prophecy advising the Israelites that a brief window of time remains in which they could yet repent of their sins, the same sins as in the days of Shiloh. They could yet repent and they could, as a nation, be saved. But they will not. And they trust because they have the temple 
And they have the ark, which I didn't tell this part, but God was good enough to get that thing back for them. And as the ark was in the tabernacle, now the ark is in the temple. And they have the temple, and they have the ark, and they trust in these things. And God says, here's an idea, go to Shiloh, because it's still a convenient day's journey away from you. Go to Shiloh, where I first caused my name to dwell, where I had another building on which this one is modeled. Go back there and look at that and see what I did to that place. Because of the wickedness of my people. When you think that you're not going to be punished because you have the temple and the ark, go back to Shiloh. And look and see what I did to that place. See, the temple is just a pile of rocks. And I will tell you this, if you've not been to Israel, God outdid himself in the rock formation process there. It's just a pile of rocks. And the ark is just a box. And absent a right relationship with God, the temple offered no more protection than the tabernacle in its time. God was willing to destroy the one place where he had caused his name to dwell. He will destroy the other place where he caused his name to dwell. And this time, incidentally, the ark will not be recovered. When the temple would eventually be rebuilt, the ark was not in it in the time of Jesus. That used to bother me. Why didn't God get them the ark back again? And you finally come to realize that when the prophet Zechariah says, as they were moaning, that they didn't think this new temple would match the glory of the old temple, he says, this temple will be more glorious and the presence of God will be more strongly felt here than in the previous temple. And I finally get it. Not the ark. It was never the ark. It's because Jesus will stand in this one. And he will bring the presence of God in a way that men have hitherto never dreamed. And that will be the glory. And the Jews of that day, some hundreds of years again later, would not accept Jesus Christ. And so the temple that had been given to bless them would be destroyed again. But that's jumping ahead. The temple they trusted in the days of Jeremiah was destroyed as completely as the tabernacle had been in the days of Eli. And it was as if they, by their behavior, looked back to that first destruction and just screamed, Encore! Do it again! Of course, God did it again. Let me talk about us now. Sometimes we feel a false sense of security. After all, we have the church, not just this building, but the presence of the church in America. And many of you today, and many people out there in the world, will be wearing uh, crosses or some other Christian symbolism in your jewelry. I have, I have a bigger Bible than I used to carry. It's not for any superstitious reason. The fact is I can't read small print anymore. So... I have a big Bible. Maybe, maybe you've got a bigger Bible. And somebody here may have a 
bigger, thicker Bible with more gold on it and all the fancy tabbing and more maps and all that, I'll tell you what, friends, none of that stuff is going to save you if you have not tended your relationship with God and kept it right. This building is just another pile of rocks. And we have already seen God's willingness to destroy the place that bears his name if his people no longer walk with him. Your jewelry will not protect you if your relationship with God is not right. And your big fancy Bible is a shield against nothing. Don't trust the church building. Be the church. Don't trust the imagery of the cross. Trust the work that God did on the cross. And don't carry your Bible around as an accessory. Know it. Heed it. Live by it. Because absence of right relationship with God, none of the trappings of Christianity will save us as individuals, a congregation, or a nation any more than the temple or the tabernacle or the ark that resided for a time in them both saved the Jews in their day when their hearts strayed from God. Go to Shiloh and see the place where I first caused my name to dwell and what I did there because of the wickedness of my people. I don't make any personal accusations. I'm not trying to target anybody specifically in this room. I only know that our society is filled with people who trust the trappings of religion and do not tend their relationship with God. Don't let it be you. And here we can begin. Don't let it be us. We want to take a moment to thank all of you, our faithful listeners, for setting aside time each week for the Indian Run Christian Church podcast. You can find out more about the church by visiting our website at www.christforeastcanton.com. That's www.christforeastcanton, all one word, dot com. On behalf of Pastor Terry and all the folks at Indian Run Christian Church, I pray God's blessing on you and your family.